Thank you, Lord. Well, welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. I want to say that the most awesome privilege we have is to come before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In the, the heart of the mystery of Christ is that He has given us access by the blood of Jesus to draw near to God. But just being here doesn't guarantee that we draw near. There's a, a heart movement that God has invited us to do. And we are, we are called to draw near to Him. And His promise is that if we draw near to Him, He will, in turn, draw near to us. Now, we just sang this song and say, oh, you know, He'll, he'll kick down every wall to get to us. But He's talking about those that don't know to draw near. He's going to chase the one that's lost. But we're not the lost ones, likely. We're, we've been found. And now he's saying, okay, now start acting like sons and daughters. Come into my presence. Learn my ways. Learn my heart. Draw near to me. Discover the depths of who I am. Uh, and the impetus is upon us to, to avoid every other voice that says, well, God's mad at you. God doesn't like you. God resents you. And just press past those things and listen to one sound that says, I love you. And there's a way that's open for you. So, Father, we say this morning, we will draw near to you. Lord, that you are the key for every transformation, every change, every weakness that we have. It's coming near to you. And we will draw near today. Lord, and we will open up our mouths and we will say that you are the Lord and you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy that we would give you everything that you deserve this morning. So let's worship him with all of our hearts. When God first spoke to Moses, I mean Abraham, he said, travel the land. He said, the land before you. I'm giving you, I want you to walk it, and every place on which your foot shall tread, I've given it to you. That was a new paradigm of conquest. I mean, we'd never seen anything like that before, but that has become the kingdom pattern, so that when Israel came up out of slavery, God said to them, every place on which your, on which your foot shall tread, I've given it to you. Now, he said this to slaves. He said this to those who up to that moment had been captives. And there was some of them that couldn't make the shift. They couldn't see themselves as being the instrument of deliverance. And similarly today, this is the place where we find ourselves as God brings you up out of sin, out of bondage, out of uh, uh, jealousy, out of pornography, out of lust, out of depression, out of all kinds of sin. It's hard to see yourself as the agent of deliverance for others. But the Lord is saying, listen, it's not you. It's me inside of you. Come on. It's not you. It's me inside of you. So we need to step out. We need to begin to believe that, hey, as I'm advancing as I'm believing this, that deliverance is coming to this community. Deliverance is coming this week to wherever I go. This is the mystery of God in you, the hope of glory. This is the truth that's hid from uh, you know, the world today, that these simple earthen vessels are filled with a deposit of Almighty God. It's very simple, but it's not about you. So take your place because you are the one that either restrains the hands of God or releases them in the earth. So, Father, we say we are the army that's rising up. And every place on which our proverbial feet will touch, you've given it to us. We believe that. We declare that. We speak it. Even if we don't fully agree with it right now, we speak it because we know it to be true. Rise up. Rise up, Lord, in our midst. So, Lord, we declare today. Now, when, I'm, I'm, when I declare this, I want you to say amen for yourself. I want you to say amen for your grandkids and your children and your neighbors and the coworkers that you're thinking of anybody in your life. Because the principle of the kingdom is this, is that everything that was made was created when God spoke. And when he created us in his image, he says, he said, you need to speak 
things into being. Without which, you know, uh, by, by faith you need to say, the victory is near you. And he says, it's in your mouth. You need to call those things which are not as though they are. That's who I've made you to be. But it takes a certain kind of boldness, a certain audacity, you know, and if we are sheepish, if we don't believe, it's very hard for us to say, because, well, what if, I, what if I say something it doesn't come to pass? Well, you know what? What you do is you just erode some of the pride in your life. That's all you do. That's the only thing you lose is pride. And so we are being fashioned in the image of God. And he is saying, I'm raising up sons and daughters in my image to do what I do. You are the body of Christ. You know, the body of Christ includes a tongue and includes hands and includes feet. And we are the agency through which God is extending his kingdom. So we say today, Lord, we will have our inheritance. We will have, Lord, the deliverance that you promised us. We will see our children serving the Lord. We will see this community bathing in a manifestation of the presence of God. Lord, we will see the glory of God hover in the air over this community and people knocking on the doors of churches when they're not open because of the presence. God, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, you will break every chain. You will break every chain. In Jesus' name. Now get your eye on a chain that's threatening you. Some bondage in your life. The enemy keeps saying, I got you. I got you over this. I got you here. He just point at that thing in your spirit and say, no. No, God is going to get this. He is going to have everything. And he's going to conquer this. I'm going to conquer this. Christ in me is going to conquer this. Lord, we believe that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. That not only will every tribe and every nation come before you, but every stronghold will be conquered. No stone unturned. I believe it. Can you say amen? Can you really say amen? Let's shout amen. Yes. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Well, let me read a scripture here. Now, before I read this, because I don't want to, I don't want to scare anybody. But have you read the Bible? It's actually pretty scary in some ways. Uh, but there is there is this work that God is doing in our lives, where He is transforming us into His likeness. That's the journey. And so, how many for think He's done with you right now? How many are, who's done? Like, who's perfect? Stand up. Okay. Okay, so nobody. That's great. Then we're all in the same category. That something needs to change. Now, the next question is a little trickier. What needs to change? Right? Well, you know, according to my wife, it's, you know, <laughs> according to, uh, so the truth is, that part is not as clear as the part that something needs to get better. And you might have an inkling that, okay, here's some obvious sins in my life. But you know what? Those obvious things are actually the least of our issues. The greatest issue that we have are the things we cannot see, that we do not know, the subtle things. And so I'm going to talk somewhat, hopefully today, if we can get around to it, about something that's somewhat subtle, but something that I've seen that is changing in the body of Christ in, at, a, at a pace that is startling me. And I just came back from Kansas City. So it was the week before last, I was in Kansas City, and something transpired there that was uh, just awe-inspiring in terms of a kingdom global impact. But it ties into something that God wants to do in us as individuals, God, something that God needs to do in this body right here. Because the expression of the kingdom of God is going to have globally certain things in common, and one of them has to do with the kinds of Christians that we are. And this is striking at the heart of it. But I want to read this passage because it sort of itemizes some of the things that God is dealing with in our lives. And so I just want to put it out there, not in the sense that, hey, if you have these things, shame on you, but rather, if you have these things, realize that they're going. 
that that's what the work of God, you know, as He's disciplining us as His sons, these are the things He's excavating from our lives. And I remember as a young Christian really reading this and struggling with it because I thought, well, who doesn't have some of this? But here's what it says in verse 6 of Revelation 21. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Wow, that's a great promise. But the next thing is sort of, you know, gets less positive. He who overcomes shall inherit what? All things. He who what? Overcomes. So what it doesn't say here is anybody who just goes to church regularly is going to get all things. It doesn't say people who speak in tongues are going to get all things. It doesn't say people who come to Spruce Grove Community Church on a semi-regular basis will get all things. It says he who overcomes. This is the stipulation that we have is that we are called to overcome. And if you go to the beginning of Revelations, there's all kinds of promises there for he who overcomes. And of course, there's some, you know, hey, he who you know, isn't, or, you know, he who's lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. All right, that's not a great prospect. So what does that mean? Do I have to be perfect? No, we are all on a journey, and God is, is emptying these things from our lives increasingly. But one of them is, is kind of interesting here. Let me look at it. It says, so he who overcomes, I will give will inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Guess what? That includes women. All right? So, you know, when we talk about fathers in the land, we're talking about fathers and mothers, you know, he's and she's. When we talk about sons, we're talking about he's and she's. Uh, but here's the, here's the list. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, Sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, most of those, you know, we, whether we, we are involved in these or not, we kind of think, oh, yeah, I can see that. But the one that really struggled with me, because I read it in the King James, and it was the fearful. Like, the cowardly was translated the fearful. I thought, well, everybody I know has some kind of fear. You know, so who qualifies? And we can't be thinking of that that way. Well, about, well, I need to cross this magical, invisible threshold in order to be included. You know, uh, otherwise, I'm not even sure if I'm safe. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the process of transformation. All right? You, your salvation is by the blood of Jesus. But he says then in Hebrews, he says, he said, but the discipline of the Father and his work in your life makes you partakers of his holiness, which is different than being saved. Being a partaker of his holiness qualifies you to function in the kingdom in a unique way. Getting saved qualifies you to get eternal life. Very different things. Okay, so when I'm talking to believers about the journey, I'm not talking about whether you get to heaven or not. I'm talking about the, how much you're participating in the transformation that gives you a role in the eternal kingdom. Very different. And that's what the judgment seat of Christ is all about in Corinthians when he says, you know, every man's uh, works will be judged, whether they're wood, hay, or stubble, or, you know, gold and silver. Right? What, and it, it says this, it says the ones that endure after they're tested, the ones that are made of eternal substance, then he will have reward. But even if you don't have any of those, if you have none, you're still saved, but he says by fire. Well, anyway, so I'm not talking today, this is not an evangelistic message, this is a message to those because my passion is, and my role is this, is that There's an eternal inheritance that we're stepping into, and we're being qualified for it right now by how much we participate in this journey of drawing near to Him and being transformed by His presence. And so 
my role is to isolate what are the things that tell you you're drawing near or drawing far? What are the things he's after? What, what, is the, what does the nature of Christ look like? What, is, uh, what does proximity God, to God feel like? What are the things that he requires? What are the protocols of drawing near to him? Uh, you know, and, and all of these things. How do we, uh, how does he inhabit our praises? How do we praise him? How do we worship him? How do we become more effective in prayer? These are all elements of being participants in the kingdom of God. And I presume everybody here wants more of that. Well, it's kind of interesting because this thing around the cowardly is what the Spirit of God is wanting to put his finger on because he's wanting to put his finger on deep fears inside of us. Deep fears. Fears that maybe nobody knows about that keep us from having people over our house, that keep us from being real, that keep us from ever going into any social situation unless we are perfectly decked out with the makeup and the hair combed and everything. You know, all of these insecurities and fears, God is wanting to free us from because whether we know it or not, those fears keep us from a deeper connection with Him. And equally important, it keeps us from a deeper connection with each other. So, This last week, and I don't want to belabor it, but I mean, what happened in Kansas City was the bomb. I'm telling you, I just met yesterday with uh, Justin Rizzo uh, at the the House of Prayer event here and another guy that was with him, Fady, and uh, an Egyptian guy. And they were telling me some testimonies of the fallout of the gathering that was in, in, in Kansas City. They weren't at any of the events, but they were like, like, things are happening. You know, the leaders there are doing things they said they've never seen. But what they shared with us is an underlying frustration that has been there for the last five years as, as the, the, that expression of the body of Christ was looking for something to be added to them. And suddenly, a week and a half ago, God added uh, the beginning of this thing. And it's so cool. And it's part of the DNA of what, something we've been involved with for years. What was interesting is I got an email this morning from another group that I am loosely connected with who had a meeting, a conference this last week with leaders from all over the world, and the language of the event and the outcome of the event parallels perfectly what happened in Kansas City the week before. And I love that for a number of reasons, because what it tells me is this, is that, is that God is doing this globally. That whatever God determined to do in Kansas City for the house of prayer, he is doing in other circles all around the world. And I'm going to get into a few minutes of what it is. But hallelujah. You know what this means to me? It means it doesn't matter what the enemy thinks he can do. It doesn't matter what the enemy thinks he has over us as weak men and women. Because God is pouring out a provision in this day that will change everything. Think about your life. Say, okay, God, I, I want some of that. I want, a, I want that provision that changes everything. My wife wants it for me, and I want it for my wife. I want it for my kids. I want it for, for, for the neighbors. Right? God, do this thing in us, in Jesus' name. So the heart of what I'm about to talk about is that he would facilitate doing this thing. I'll tell you a, a little story, because, of course, you know, when, when I start saying something like, God doesn't like this, our tendency, and this is our, you know, universal, our tendency is to find ways to keep ourselves from, from identifying with the thing that God doesn't like. Oh, that's not me, because I'm this other way. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of what I used to do when I played hockey when I was young, you know. I would play a whole game, and I would only remember the one amazing play I did. And if somebody came to criticize, and my coach came to tell me what, you know, how I didn't play well, I would throw back at him that one thing that I did, because that's the only thing I remembered. You know, so you, we always come out looking rosy, you know, in some ways, when we're trying to isolate ourselves from a flaw. You know, it's like, no, I don't do that. Right? You ever done that in your marriage? You know, your wife says, oh, you do this. I don't do that. Well, that was one time, and it was because I was really tired. So, so we don't, the, the beauty about the blood of Jesus, we don't have to do that. Because it doesn't matter what's wrong with us. We're not qualified by what's right with us or what's wrong with us for eternal life. All right, we are adopted into the family. Woo! And so a part of what we're trying to touch on is what is the fear that makes you feel unqualified when we start to talk about defects? What is that thing that starts to say, I don't want to be guilty of that because it makes me wonder about my sense of security in God. And we want to get to the place where, where we don't wonder about that. And that can be had regardless of our accomplishments. 
which is a beautiful thing. But so a few years ago, actually way back when I was in Bible college at Christ of the Nations in Dallas, Texas in, in the early 80s, my church organized a ski trip. And I went on the ski trip. Now, they were all Texans, you know, they're from the south of the United States largely. I was a Canadian. So I was by far the best skier among them, though I'm, I'm not really that great. But I had skied more than anybody and everybody, you know. And so it was really interesting because I was, you know, I, I had a shirt, you know, when I was a teenager, Black Diamond, you know, because uh, we had to do the Black Diamond trails. And if, you haven't, if you've skied, you know what that's about, right? And it wasn't that I was that good, to, to, but I had the courage of one that had the skill. <laughs> okay. Plus, I wanted to be able to say that I did. That's, that's, all I do is Black Diamond. Mogul, 30-degree inclines, that's for women and babies. <laughs> Most women are better than me, I know. But anyway, so, so we went to this thing, and of course, I do what I always do, which is go full bore. I mean, I, you know, so we got back after the first break, and, and uh, you know, four or five of the Texans are sitting around there bragging about their accomplishments. And the one saying, yeah, I never fell down once. And I thought, What? What measure is that of an accomplishment? I never fell. I fell down like 50 times, and I'm, I'm way, way better a skier than you. But I, I, I thought, what is that, that thing where you measure, like, I measure accomplishments very differently than I didn't fall down. But I, I started to think about the timidity of one who, whose goal, you know, setting the bar really, really low because you actually have a low skill level. And so accomplishment for you is very, very different. But I thought about, no, this is, this is not about not falling down. You would have been better off if you fell down 20 times because it means you were pushing yourself. But here's the thing, is that in this life, both in the natural and in the spiritual There are those that push and run and always are lunging at the impossible, Uh, always lunging to do things they cannot do in order that they can. And those end up being leaders in our culture, leaders in industry, leaders in business, leaders in, in, in sports, leaders in every way, because they don't have the timidity of, of the ones who are always trying to protect something, you know, whether it's your body or your reputation or your life. Now, this has a factor, I mean, as you can see, related to what we were just talking about earlier about what's happening in our government and in our land right? You know, if, you're, if your impulse is to be in that lukewarm middle group of where the, your prime motivation is survival, then you are hesitant to risk, hesitant to risk. So God is actually looking for a people for whom survival is not a priority. Man, how do you get that? Why well, I shared this, this idea some, sometime back. I love these... Uh, these uh, super, super duper hero movies, right? And there's loads of them now, and I can't remember the different names, but you got the X-Men ones, right? We, everybody loves Wolverine because Wolverine epitomizes this sort of kind of selfless courage, and he just goes in. Well, it's easy for him because he has a healing gift, right? But he knows that, you know, if, you know, I get gutted, everything just grows back. It's like, he could charge into the battle, charge into situations that other heroes can't because he has this security in the knowledge that my body heals. Well, this is what God is trying to give us in, as kingdom, as sons of God, that you can do anything because you will heal. You can do absolutely anything because you will heal. And so the question is, what ways are you confident that you will heal? Are you confident in physical healing? Are you confident in relational healing? Are you confident in emotional healing? I, I remember years ago, people asked me, how is it that you always can you know, walk with people who, who, who don't like you afterwards? You know, whatever. Like, how do you do that? By forgiving. By forgiving. I, you could track that thing. When I was a young Christian, God told me, you need to forgive. I mean, the scriptures that stood out to me, right, is, is you know, that one parable we all know, right, is that the, the one who doesn't forgive, there's a parable where um, they, you know, they were forgiven a great debt, and they find a servant who owes them a, a, a pittance of money, and then they throw them into prison, and then the master hears about it, and he takes them, and he throws them in the prison, then Jesus says this, he says, so shall my heavenly Father do to you if you do not forgive. So I thought, oh, okay, got to do that, <laughs> right? Because I don't want to be thrown into a prison by the hand of God to be tormented, 
And, and, and that metaphorically probably has a lot to do with fear because fear is torment. Right? So I don't want to be thrown into a prison of fear because I don't forgive. So I made every effort to forgive. And I, I mean, any time I had anything against anybody, even if it surprised them, <laughs> I confessed it and, you know, got rid of it. And then, and so I grew in my capacity to forgive. And when people hurt me, when people uh, did things, you know, at first it was just mild stuff, you know, they, they didn't talk to me. I forgive them. Well, you know, you probably should have been repenting for being such a child, but, but anyway... <laughs> Good on you to forgive. <laughs> right. but, but anyway, so I, I practice that on increasingly dire situations to the point where I was able to forgive people who were actively trying to discredit me or attack me or, or whatever. And so I, like X-Men, like Wolverine, I can charge into any relationship. I can do that. I can extend my soul to people I don't have to qualify them a hundred different ways to make sure that they never do anything to disappoint me. Wow. The security of that is amazing, right? I can charge into this and out without fear of being hurt. So if you have hurt, unresolved hurt, wounding, emotional wounding, you can't do that because you haven't yet discovered the capacity to be healed. But as you discover the capacity to be healed, you become increasingly reckless with your love. And there's, there's something in that that's amazing for us. But uh, there's more than that. Amen? Yeah. Way more! Yeah. I just got to remember what it is. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm going to come to some scriptures. So I, I want to read a pile of scriptures here. And I'm going to reference them uh, arbitrarily here and there as it feels good to me. Second Corinthians 4, 7 says this, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, I'm gonna, you're going to see the relevance and the connection between all these scriptures, besides the fact that they're all in Corinthians. That's 2 Corinthians 4. And that's, there's a preeminent principle there that we're going to touch on. So remember that one. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of power may be of God and not of us. What that is referencing is that there is a power that God put inside of you, a deposit that is responsible for everything good in your life, and he put it in your holy vessel, your exquisite vessel, your, your perfect vessel, your glorious vessel, your earthen vessel, your incomplete, bodily, wretched, broken form that's aging and losing its, if it ever had anything, it's, as you get older, it just you lose everything you, you think you had. That body is the container for the ultimate power and glory of God. This is, the, this is the mystery of godliness, Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right? Key principle. The next verse is 1 Corinthians 1.25. He says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Then in 1 Corinthians 2.3, Paul is saying, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Second Corinthians 12, verse 9, he says, And he said to me, now this is, this is the scenario where Paul has a thorn in his flesh, something that happens to him that he can't seem to get over or get past. Some have speculated that it was a flaw. Some have speculated that it was sickness, that it was a, an eye condition. But whatever it was, it gave him a sense of weakness, of incompleteness. And uh, this is what when he was asking the Lord to take it away, the Lord said this, My grace is sufficient for you, and for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, he says, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, this, this uh, message touches many areas, but one of the things it touches is the nature of the true ap apostolic. The nature of the true apostolic, what is genuinely apostolic, is actually a manifestation of the incompatibility of weakness and strength in the same person. Glory in earthen vessels. Weakness infused with a, a deposit of God. Now, my inclination, our inclination, is to have a glorious earthen vessel. That's why we work out. That's why we diet. That's why we do sports. That's why we comb our hair. That's why we put makeup on. You know, I mean, we're, we're, you know, 
it's a vain thing in the sense that you can't keep it forever. I'm realizing that. I've got wrinkles and everything. But, but the glory of God in earthen vessels. But see, the culture of the church has not been good at embracing that reality. But what we've demanded of people is, to, is perfection. And we, there is a culture that has crept in alongside the gospel that requires perfection in order to give acceptance. And I first ran into that as a, as a Christian. Well, I didn't run into it. It was a part of me. But I saw it in the church when I sort of gotten over my first sense that I can't be a Christian because I, I have all these issues. I have all these problems. I remember why I, when I stopped going to church with my mom is because I couldn't be a Christian. I didn't have the capacity to be good. And we won't get into how bad I was, but it was bad. And so when I got saved, it was because God revealed himself to me in a bar. His glory came into the bar, and he threw me into the kingdom. And I came in saying, wow, this is great. I don't, it's not about me. I don't have to be anything, and I'm not anything. It's him. That was the basis on which I came. So I came to Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas, after being a Christian for about four months. And the first day there, I went out for pizza with some guys, and we're driving along, telling a story. I got excited about telling the story, and it inadvertently slipped in a four-letter swear word. It was, uh, it was not on purpose. I wasn't particularly mad. It just kind of, whoops. You know, I was about to brush it off, but I felt the revulsion in the, in the vehicle. I felt like, you know, the, I felt, you know, everybody's kind of withdrawal from me, like the shock at my imperfection. And, and you know, and, and later on, I had a conversation with one of the guys there. He said, yeah, when I first met you, I was so, who is this guy? Is he even saved? You know, and, uh, but I felt the withdrawing of approval. I felt the pulling away from me. I never forgot that. And I, I remember thinking, I will never let that happen again. And it was a beginning of a descent into satisfying the need that people have for a glorious earthen vessel. A, a, I shared in that need and desire, which was what made me susceptible to it in others. Now realize that, okay? Whatever that you are victimized by that's in others, you have, okay? The reason why it's so effective on you is, is, uh, is because it's inside of you. Okay, if you didn't have it, if you didn't, on some level, even though you're trying not to, if you didn't connect with that value system, it would have no no hold over you. And so I wasn't. I'm not blaming the church of that era for having this. These are all immature Christians anyway. They're just kids, right? You know, trying to find out what God wanted with our lives. But so you know, I was the same as them. So I'm not faulting them for having all the Christian. What's wrong with the church? Is this? No, it's what's wrong with us. We are the church. Okay? And so whatever exists in the church that you are not changing, you have. Okay? That's, that's, that's the way we need to approach it. So anyway, but I, I, I remember there came a time when God visited me with His love and seemed to deliver me from the need to be perfect. Okay? And, uh, and it, I mean, it was a quantum leap. And I won't, it would take too long to share that testimony. It was, a, it was an amazing moment in my life as the love of the Father came and visited me and, and touched uh, a profound and deep insecurity that was in me around the Father's love. I mean, it was, a, it was a moment that was just crazy, but it wasn't finished. Years later, I found myself in our church in Vancouver, Church of Zion, with uh, Pastor Gideon, my, my pastor, Pastor Bob Birch, and David Demian was there. And at that time, now this is, one of the reasons I'm sharing this is because this is at the heart of what we call the gatherings. This is at the heart of what happened in Kansas City last week. So um, in our church, David Demian, of course he's Egyptian, he's got an Arabic culture he's grown up with, and he said, he shared with us as leaders, he said, I was on the pastoral team, he said, listen, there's something in the Western church that we don't particularly share in the same way, and it's a problem. And so I, we're going to do this thing in the church. He said, basically, there's this belief in the Western world that you can be close to God, but not close to people. And he said, but the kingdom paradigm that is real is you're never more close to people than you are to God, and you're never closer to God than you are to people. That the litmus test of your love for God is your love for people. And we know that to be true if you've ever read 1 John. All right? that was, that's the whole message of 1 John. Okay, These, If you hate 
or dis, you know, disapprove, if you withdraw from these, then you're withdrawing from him. Because the evidence that you love him is you love his children. You know, equal. Make sense? Yeah. I mean, it might be shocking, right? But there we go. So anyway, I thought, oh, this is going to be great. Yeah, this is, this is super. You know, we white folks, we need something. <laughs> right? Anyway, so we did this thing for three months. I was just a participant. I didn't know what it was going to look like. We started meeting twice a week. On Wednesday nights, on Saturday nights. On Saturday nights, we'd have a, a dinner. We'd eat together, and then we'd have about a three, four-hour meeting. Wednesday nights, we'd just come together, have coffee, and we'd go into worship. And here's what happened. David Demian would take the leadership, and he would start to share about his weakness. I didn't realize that at the time how biblical this was, but as, as we're going through this over successive weeks, all these scriptures start coming to me about the apostolic model that, that, that Paul embraced around weakness. That, you know, and I remember reading that. How do you rejoice in your weakness? Like, you know, how do you celebrate your weakness? What is that about? It's like, but, you know, it's biblical, so I'll say it. <laughs> right? Yeah, I value my weakness. No, you don't. Anyway, so we're going through this, but he starts doing this thing, and it was mystical in its impact on us, and me in particular, because at this time, I was traveling all over the world, speaking at events. I, I, I had uh, taught a couple of years at Christ of the Nations Bible School in Vancouver. I was in ministry. We were part of the pastoral team of, of Church of Zion. And I looked at David Demian, and I thought, now here's an elder brother. He wasn't a spiritual father to me. Gideon was. But I thought, here's a guy who has a favor that's like, wait, I wish I had his favor. I wish I had half of his favor. You know, so he's like running ahead of me. So I'm, I'm you know, trying to figure out what do I, needs to happen in my life so I can be like him. Like I can grow this way and, and have this kind of impact on the world around me. So I'm looking at him, and what he starts talking about is all his defects. And what he starts doing in the meetings is not talking about defects that he overcame years ago. He's talking about ones today. Now, the model I had seen was God can do anything. He did this in me. Come on. What's wrong with you? <laughs> right? it, was like, it was like, be inspired by my success. That was the model that I had seen. I have faith. You could have faith too. Get rid of your unbelief. You know, come up out of this. Come up out of that. But it's always, come up where I am. Right? You know, it was always, it was always this, it was always victory oriented. Let me show you my strength. That's what it was. And, um, and so he starts doing this thing where he's sharing his weaknesses. And he's encouraging others to share theirs. And I remember one particular evening, there was a person that I knew was particularly, particularly had walls, you know, which, which always, is always fear. It's fear behind those walls. We erect these invisible walls that actually create an invisible distance between us and others, and it's all for the purpose of self-preservation, okay? And, uh, and so, man, this, this, the implications of this are huge, so he starts doing this, and I remember one night he, he called on this person to share, and they shared something. And it wasn't even remotely intimate or risky. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 that's no good. <laughs> he, said, he said, share something risky. This, you could share that at the Royal Bank. <laughs> and so this person, like, you know, kind of deer in the headlights, like, you know, I mean... And they shared something else that was, you know, in my books, it was minor. I don't know why you would think that would be a risk. But anyway, so one day, he's sharing. He starts to talk about a certain kind of imperfection. He said, my wife came to me this week, and she said, David, you need to change. That if you don't change, our children are going to grow up and they're going to hate us. They're going to not serve the Lord. And, and you know, and he's, he's not only, I mean, like, this is like two days ago he's sharing this. And so he's not like, I mean, there's, he's right now. And not only does he share the issue, he, his brokenness about how hard he has tried to overcome this rigid perfectionism and, and this, this sternness. I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, oh. Because this is me all over the place. I'm thinking, 
But I never told anybody. I mean, you know, my wife told me, you should be, you know, blah, blah, blah. My dad was, good for you. <laughs> my dad wasn't anything like that. <laughs> and anyway, I'm trying to be this thing. You know, I know this, this other version of what a father needs to be is, is what I am. I've tried. I mean, I've prayed. I've fasted. I've, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm broken. But more than broken about this, I am afraid. I didn't know I was afraid. But I was afraid that I would be disqualified if this didn't get fixed in me. That, that my, what I was called to in the kingdom would suddenly grind to a halt. That I would be dismissed from anything you know, that I was longing for and reaching into in God. And so you have to realize from my perspective, I'm listening to this anointed man, this man who's running ahead of me, who seems like, if I could only be as perfect as him, and what he's presenting to me is brokenness and weakness. Well, here's what happened inside of me. Because theologically, I could have said, yeah, I understood that. And I did up here, but I wasn't living it. I didn't really believe it fully. And so... And so what, what happened, as he's sharing this thing, I feel something inside of my, my deepest being shift. And it was almost like I, I, like, I shared it a couple of days ago because I was sharing with the guys in Kansas City and I was sharing the other day, yesterday morning, with the guys from Kansas City who weren't in the meetings. I said, this is the heart of what just happened in Kansas City uh, around the Father's love, around the body of Christ, around the family, around intimacy. This is what God is doing. So what happened is I likened myself to a Star Trek person in, in the Star Trek Enterprise. And there's the Wrath of Khan, which is, I think, the second in the first series of movies before most of you were born. <laughs> anyway, you know, in the Star Trek, they always have these forward shields. And the forward shields are the shields that are erected. They're invisible, but they're there for protection. And, you know, if proton per- torpedoes come or anything like that, you know, our forward shields, you know, and as they get hit, our forward shields are down to 40%. And it's like, hmm, divert life support systems to the forward shields, right? Anybody remember that? So anyway, I'm, I'm sitting there, and, and it's like I'm in the Wrath of Khan movie, and David has my codes for my forward shields, and they just go, boop, 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 boop. He accessed something of a fear that fueled uh, a distance I created with people to protect me. And it was fear of, of, uh, of being disqualified was at the root of this. And so, but I didn't realize, and I can't explain all the ways it permeated my life. And it wasn't that God hadn't already dealt with a lot of fear and insecurity. I mean, he had, which is why I was surprised to see this body of fear behind this. But what happened was in the room, suddenly, over the, starting right then especially, over the next few weeks, I started to feel people in an entirely different way. And equally important, they started to feel me. There's a movie recently, Avatar, you know, and a lot of New Age junk in there that I wouldn't advocate adopting. But the theme of it is, I see you. You know, that, that there's a prophetic theme that I see you. There's a longing in us to be known and to know, or to know just as we are known. So we are known by God, but, but, but we are not, we do not know nor are we known, or nor do we make known ourselves to others in the way God only knows us. So it's a one-way streak. And part of the covenant that God has given to you is saying, I'm inviting you into an intimacy where there's no walls, where there's no defenses, there's no, there's no barriers, there's no fear. Because, and the reason there's no walls is because there's no fear. And what I realized in that moment uh, was that was that fear was creating a force field around me that kept people at a distance in order to protect my image because I feared not being imperfect, and I certainly knew they would not accept me if I was imperfect. And what the Lord began to do in my life is deepen my comfortableness with being imperfect. Now, the fallout of this was after three months we were sharing, and ended up, there ended up being about 45 of us, which is way too many for an intimate kind of thing like this. But there was 45 of us in this meeting. 
And after three months, we were asked to share, go around the room the last Saturday night. What did this mean to you? What was the significance of this? And people wept. They said, I've never felt so completely accepted or known or intimate. Or, and these were the language, these were the words that started coming out. It was this, this, this embrace that had entered us, not because we understood the love of God differently, but something in us shifted for us to receive the love of God and then be able to see and be visible to others. It's profound. Profound. Now, that wasn't the end of it for me, and God has done a lot of things then. And I am, we are all on a journey and evolving into the kinds of fathers and mothers God wants us to be spiritually for the body of Christ. But this issue here is preeminent amongst all of the issues. And it touches this scripture here. And I mean, there's a bunch of things, I, scriptures I could read about, you know, the false apostles and how, how they displayed their strength. And Paul talked about that. But this is the passage I want to leave with you as, as the pillar. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God. That your life in Christ is not how good you are, but your life in Christ is this thing in you. And what keeps us from having intimacy and loving others and risking with others is the fear if they, if they really knew us. If they really knew us, they wouldn't like us because all of the, you know, all the negativity, all the, the fear, all the bitterness, all the judgment, all the self-righteousness, if all the, the stuff you never show anybody. And, well, oh, I'm pretty open. No, you're not. There are degrees of open. You might be op- more open than the more fearful person to your left or right. But there's what we've got to say, listen, there's a level of freedom you don't know anything about, but I'm bringing it to my body. And, and uh, the apostolic ministry that's coming, the body of Christ, the, the love that's coming, the capacity to live as family that's coming is deeper than you could possibly know. And so this last week when I was in Kansas City, and I remember being in one of the meetings, and one of the key, key leaders looked at the Chinese. Now, it was the Chinese who were championing this event, because it happened because of a prophetic destiny word that Bob Jones gave Mike Bickle 35 years ago about the Chinese coming and the connection with Asia. But we're in this meeting, you know, a leadership meeting, and this key leader says to the Chinese leaders, she says, I want what you have. He said, there's, there's, you are oozing love that I have never seen. Now, this is no small accomplishment when a global leader of a not, not too insignificant stream says something like this. I want what you have. What is this? And I mean, something came on her. And she entered into a level of intercession in the open meeting where, his, where, where her husband said, I've never heard this sound come out of her. Well, apparently now at, at, at House of Prayer, she is, go, she is doing things that they said, I've been there 15 years. I have never seen this done anywhere. Like this is this intimacy, this, this love, this, I mean, this shift of culture and, and behavior, I've never, ever seen it. And there's, they're all like kind of stunned. Like, because, you know, wasn't it that they were bad Christians? They're amazing Christians. You know, I can testify the depth, the maturity, the beauty of these people. They're amazing people. But, but it goes to show you that God has more. I mean, I mean, no matter how much we think we've got, God's got more. And you, you may get tired of me saying, hey, lean into God, pursue God, seek God for more. But I'm telling you, the very best that there is to be had is the remaining you know, it's like, it's like, what was that chocolate thing with the cherry in the middle? Cherry blossom? Okay, yeah. You know, at the core is the very best part. At the core of God is the very best part. And we start from the outskirts. And so I'm, say, I'm not saying because you're not, you're not good enough a Christian. I'm saying because I want you to taste and see. Taste and see. There's a capacity that God is going to empower a people with. A capacity to love. A capacity to extend your soul, to forgive, to be open. I mean, it's going to result in, yeah, those that are fearful about their own perfectionism, having people over to the house and cooking for them when you're not the greatest cook. 
And you'd be able to invite people over and say, well, you know, it's not the best version of this. You won't have to say any of that. You just, we're just here, you know, all, we have so many fears that keep us at arm's length. And only under ideal circumstances do we ever compromise or, or really risk. God is saying, I, wanna, I want to be done with the fear. I want to exterminate what separates you from one another. I want you to be the family of God. Because let me tell you, the people out there, they know the fear. And they don't need a religious form of that fear. They want freedom. 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 And so this is what we're leaning into. Yeah. Now, the next question is, well, how do we do some of that? We've actually been doing it for years, for years. When I first came to this church, the Lord said to me, there's an idolatry of leadership in that church. I said, well, you know, okay, what do I do? He said, just be yourself. (laughs) I'm not sure they're going to like me. Right? You know, uh, anybody with gifting and anointing is beautiful from a distance, up close... He totally got an earthen vessel. <laughs> yeah, that's the point. And when you're ready to accept the fact that you have an earthen vessel, you will unlock the abilities of God on a whole other level in your life. But it's the fear, the fear, the torment of fear. So, Father, today we want to thank you, the Holy Spirit, you are touching on the torment of fear, the fears we don't know, fears that keep us locked up in ourselves, fears that keep us from going into social situations, fears that keep us from uh, speaking, from keep us from interacting, keep us from going to church, keep us from having people over at our house, keep us from doing something new on the job, keep us from, from uh, all kinds of expressions, God, Freedom needs to characterize our life. And so, Lord, we say, we give you permission today to begin to uncover and deal with the fear. God, we give you permission, Holy Spirit, to deal with the fear. Come, come and break every chain. I wonder if the worship team can come, and maybe we'll sing that song. And I just want you to reach out to God. It's not all, you know, it's not like there's something... Okay, today's going to be different from here forward, but it's the beginning of something different. Beginning of something, because it's a process. There are layers and layers and layers of fears that keep us distant from one another. To deal with fears we don't even know. Oh God, we just lean into you, Father. Lord, we can't even conceive of freedom beyond what we know, because you've done so many miracles in our lives. But Lord, What more is there to find we want to find? Because we know you want to give it. God, I believe that you're going to enrich our relationships with our children and with spouses and with neighbors. That fear no longer will define the characteristics of our relationships. Fear will no longer define the orbits in which we walk in our culture. In our city, God, we won't be chained to familiarity. We won't be chained to what we already know, who we already know. Break these chains. Remove these walls. Break these chains, Lord.